Geek Nerdery. Player one, press start to play. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode number 22 of Graveyard Duck Podcast. As always, my name is Scott. And I'm Wes. And Wes, uh, this week we're doing yet another listener request. Um, One, unlike last episode, which is a game we were very familiar with, if you listen to our Metal Gear episode, um, this is a listener request that I think came in when we very first started the show. Mm -hmm always kind of joked like, yeah, we need to do this at some point and just never bit the bullet. And finally I said, screw it. It's time. Mm -hmm. Uh, A game. I don't think either of us had played before the episode, but um, we're talking princess tomato in the salad kingdom. Yes, we are. Um, This was a request from Melanie. Um, Actually. Yeah. Like you said, when we first started um, doing the show or when we first started talking about the show. So um, it's one that's been on the back burner for a little while. And it's a game that, I always knew about, but never really sat down and played through until now. Yeah. So the history of this, as far as releases go, um, it's actually much older than either of us thought. Mm -hmm. Um, It came out in 1984 in Japan for various home computer systems. Uh, The PC-88, I think, was kind of the one of the most notable. Also, the PC-6001, if I'm remembering that right. Mm-hmm. Uh, MSX, FM7, a couple of those other systems that you may or may not have even ever heard of. Um, and then the Famicom release was in May of 88. And in North America, Hudson got their hands on it and released it for us in February of 91. So mm-hmm. incredibly late in the NES yeah. life. Um, it's since seen a couple re-releases on the virtual console, uh, 2010, we got it for the Wii and in Japan, if you've got a Wii U, you can get the, uh, virtual console release of it over there. But, um, Mm -hmm. so yeah, it's still kicking around. I think it was also on the Hudson greatest hits collection number four, I believe. Yeah. Um, so I think there's also a mobile port in Japan as well. There's a recent, um, cell phone version. Oh, okay. Yeah, so there, there's copies of it out there. It's one that I don't know whether many people have actually decided to bite the bullet and pick up or not. Um, like I said, I've never played it before we recorded this episode, but I do have a little bit of nostalgia for it um, hmm. from this being one of probably the most recognizable covers to me. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, yeah. if you, if you haven't seen it, go Google it real quick. It's just kind of a generic pink, uh, box art with four of the main characters standing there in complete, you know, claymation art style, mm-hmm. uh, models. And this was on rental shelves, probably everywhere that I rented games. Yeah. And I never picked it up. I never tried it mostly because as a, you know, pre pubescent boy looking at a game called princess tomato in the salad kingdom i just you know i i looked elsewhere but um yeah <laughs> yeah i don't know we can debate whether that was a mistake or not but um yeah one i had never played but it uh, was definitely very familiar with the title and the artwork yeah yeah same here um i i can remember seeing it you know in, in rental stores and stuff like that but uh you know never never really bothered to play it um until you know about recently but it's interesting because i i do enjoy like these old school adventure games and stuff like that and so i guess really when this came out i didn't really give it much thought because i don't know i didn't really think it was an adventure game i wasn't quite sure what it was to be honest with you based on the cover art it's really hard to tell so yeah i had absolutely zero clue what it was about (laughs) yeah so So a little bit of background if people want to know the story of what the game is all about uh, you play the role of Sir Cucumber, who is a knight that was uh, basically tasked by the late King Broccoli to take out Minister Pumpkin, who has kidnapped uh, the princess of the kingdom, Princess Tomato. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going through the Salad Kingdom, uh, kind of meeting all sorts of different people. Everyone is basically either a fruit or vegetable uh humanoid um a couple characters become more main characters like there's percy who's a persimmon i think that Uh, he he, uh joins you right away and is kind of your sidekick gives you advice and tips and hints if you kind of get stuck uh and then kind of throughout the rest of the story you uncover a plot uh basically where minister pumpkin has kidnapped the princess but also kind of has a group of what were the was it the farmies mm-hmm. yeah that are the kind of the enemies to the vegetable kingdom and you are trying to you kind of become a rebel at a one point you're trying to infiltrate their city uh put a stop to all of this it, it's a incredibly detailed plot like honestly yeah, there's the resistance and the underground resistance base that you have to find and yeah uh, yeah uh, a lot more hardcore than you would have thought from the title. Um, <laughs> but right. yeah, the, the general gameplay is it's, it's a text adventure game, um, mm-hmm. which if players you know, or listeners are familiar with that type of game, I know this mostly from like old DOS games um, yeah. where you, know, you kind of had your one VGA style artwork picture and mm-hmm. then so a little blurb of text would pop up describing what you see and it was your job to figure out how to interact and it might be like move west or look at tree or take rock and that sort of thing and then as you kind of build your inventory and move around to different screens you have to use the right items in the right places to unlock things and move further um this was similar but uh, i played the nes version i don't know if you played any other Mm, versions of it the only one I played. So um I would think that that people would be a little bit more familiar with this style having played Deja Vu or Shadowgate probably. Pretty similar, yes. Yeah. 
Um, and, and because this was NES, you obviously didn't have a keyboard where you could type commands. So you kind of had a series of, you know, a dozen or so different options, you know, such as move, look, check, talk, mm-hmm. and clicking on one of them would bring up a sub menu. So you could, you know, when you clicked check, it would bring up all the different things on the screen that you could potentially check. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you kind of just moved around, advanced your way through the game. Uh, it played out over a series of, I think nine chapters Mm -hmm. and each one just kind of being a small little chunk of the the world uh, as you made your way toward uh minister pumpkin yeah yeah that's a pretty good way to break it down um there's not really i don't know it's the way that it's structured as far as the um the levels it i don't feel that this one is um it's not that daunting at first i guess it might seem like it but there's only so many screens that you can go to per chapter. So, right. Uh, and cuts down on the, the amount of um, variables, I guess. And, and I'll say that, you know, right off the bat that the, the interface of this particular game, you know, and its limitations because it was on an NES, I think was both a great asset as well as a great handicap for it. Mm. Um, because I, I think we'll end up talking about this quite a bit, but like the idea of the text-based adventure game is one that I personally absolutely love. Mm-hmm. Um, I oh, think that it's yeah. one of my favorite styles of games. I just absolutely love the idea. However, I will fully admit I suck at them. Mm-hmm. And I get very frustrated because more often than not where i get stuck in a game like that is because i know i'm supposed to climb the tree but you know the the specific way you type climb tree is you know it's very context sensitive like if you Mm -hmm. didn't say move left or look at tree before you say climb tree like it doesn't activate and there's always something simple or stupid in there that i'm you know phrasing wrong or typing wrong and so i can't do it and and that just frustrates me to no end um and it's usually a limitation of of the hardware though at the time i mean there was with the old text parser style adventure games there was you know only so much memory for what you could actually you know put in there as far as you know the objective that you wanted to to do definitely and yeah you know but it's even though i completely understand what it was it really turns me off from wanting to play a lot of these because i know that there's a spot where i'm going to get stuck Mm. and it's it's not about skill it's not about you know solving the puzzle it's purely a i need to google how to actually type this in with the proper wording because that's Mm. the only way to actually do it so this game being on the nes it eliminated that um yeah you have all the just kind of click on the options like when you select talk it only gives you the options of things you can talk to. So mm-hmm. you don't have to try 50,000 different options. You kind of see all of your options. Yeah. Um, where I think that that's actually kind of a handicap for this game is that at first I found that very relieving, just knowing that it was kind of condensed down and it didn't overwhelm me. But by about the halfway point, I found this game to be really boring because mm-hmm. they're just there wasn't any discovery on my part, really. It was kind of just, okay, I go to the screen, I look at everything, check everything, talk to everything, take everything, try to use everything. Mm-hmm. Okay, now I move on to the next screen because I've done everything there is to do. And considering yeah. each chapter only has maybe a half a dozen 
up to 10 different screens you can go to, you kind of just follow the pattern of go to all the screens, try all the different options, then go to all the screens again, try all the other options. Eventually something works and then you move on. And I mean, that's indicative of this genre of adventure games, though, I feel, because I feel like, you know, Shadowgate and Deja Vu and Uninvited and some of those, I feel like they all kind of have that um, sort of built into them. And that's a little just, bit. yeah, I think that's just the the limitation of this style of game. I, I like these style of games, but um, you have to kind of know how to um, how to work around the um, limitations a little bit because they are kind of esoteric and, you know, the specific things that, you know, you have to discover things in a certain way. Right. Uh, for instance, like if you get into if you get into a new screen, um, you might have to use the look command first to kind of, you know, get get the game to tell you, oh, there's something over here. And then you have to check it. And then, you know, then you check those specific things. Right. Um, or you might have to talk to a character multiple times. And that's not that's not really spelled out. But right. uh, something that the more that you play these styles of games, um, the more you get acclimated to how they work, I think. And so yeah. then yeah, after that, true. it becomes. Um, for me, at least from some of the ones I played, it, it becomes a little bit more second nature. Yeah. And, and this one, honestly, like I kind of wondered if it wasn't built for a, a younger audience um, because it was pretty simple. And like things like Shadowgate is is one that I'm very familiar with. Mm. There's a lot of solutions in that that are just completely off the wall. Like mm-hmm. you would never think to use this item in this room. Sure. Um, unless you played through it. I think that with, with princess tomato, most of the things that you're supposed to use are pretty obvious. Um, Yeah. Yeah. They might be a little strange to go about, but there's not as many, I should say there are still some red herrings in this game, as far as items that you can pick up and things that you, you think would be the solution, but yeah. And there's also a ton of items that you can pick up that you absolutely don't need. Um, But then it also kind of add in this one is say like, I played through Uninvited um, last year or year before, and Uninvited has so many items that just are completely useless. Right. And so, you know, you tend to pick up everything, and uh, that style of game to me is more like a a kleptomaniac um, murder simulator, I guess, or something of that nature, where you try to pick everything up and you try to kill everything with everything inventory before you proceed, but... Um, yeah, and, and I mean, one of the other things that made this just a little bit more, I guess, kid-friendly is that, okay, yeah, you can pick up a lot of superfluous items that you don't need, and then every time you switch to a new chapter, it goes through and it'll, like, throw away stuff that's just useless. Yeah. And yeah, you gotta tell, like, a little screen comes up and Percy says something like, oh, I dropped some things on accident, you know, or I tripped oh, and things fell out of my right. pocket. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, it clears out your inventory mostly for memory reasons. Yeah, but it does kind of help you to say like, okay, well, I guess I didn't really actually need the clover juice or whatever it was. Well, um, funny you don't really realize that at first because the first time that he says that, you're like, oh, what a what a stupid klutz! You know, you just dropped half the stuff that I thought that I might need, but then right. later on you realize, well, I probably didn't need the, you know, all that stuff. So right. Um, yeah, and I mean, honestly, this game I found very straightforward. It was not all that challenging if you just kind of followed the pattern, like I said. Um, other than I think there were two moments that I just got, you know, infuriated 
because mm-hmm. I was stuck. And it, again, it was one of those stupid things that you just have to do things in the right order. Yeah. Um, one of them, I'll see if you remember, you got stuck in the same spot. Uh, you're talking to Mr. Leak. Mm. Who, yeah, he's yeah, he's the one outside of that little house, and you've already talked to the mole. He tells you to go find Mister Leak. Mister Leak tells you about crossing the river and going into the the forest. Uh-huh. Um, but you have to talk to Mister Leak, and he, you have to give him his umbrella. Right. But you can't give him the umbrella until after you've talked to him. And what's weird though is that like if you talk to him and then leave the screen and come back, you have to have the whole conversation all over again. Mm. And so, like, I talked to him, you know, left the screen, came back, and I was like, oh, I'll try giving him stuff. Tried giving him the umbrella. He didn't want it. So I'm like, okay, this is weird. And it was finally, like, 20 minutes later that I realized, like, okay, I go, go back to him, have the same conversation I've had 30 different times already, then give him the umbrella, and now I can move on. So I didn't have that issue. No, because there was, I don't know if it was the mole or somebody else that, that said that he likes shade or that, you know, he lost his umbrella or something like that. Yeah. So, they tell you he lost his umbrella, but yeah. like by the time I remember, once I remember that, remembered that, that, then it was fine. So at least that's what I thought. Yeah. See, I remembered that he needed the umbrella, but like, I didn't remember at the time I talked to him. Mm. So like I had the conversation, I moved on to the forest came back and I was like, oh yeah, I was supposed to give this to him. But then there's that there's that context trigger it's waiting for. You have to have the conversation again. Then you can give it to him. Yeah, I don't um, I don't think I had that issue. It doesn't sound familiar, but and then the other one was there's a guy, I think he's a radish that's sitting in like the saloon. Mm-hmm. And he's got a key for you. Right. But like it's a very specific thing. You have to talk to him, then talk to the guy to the left of him, then talk to the guy to the left of him, mm-hmm. then talk to him again, then leave the bar and then immediately go back in, then talk to him all again. It's like this ridiculous convoluted order that yeah. if you're if you're lucky, you just do it right. If not, you have to like figure out how to but yeah, that that was frustrating. It's like I know he has the key. Just give me the damn key. <laughs> yeah. Then I I will tell you, yeah, that was a little bit of an issue because um, it's just not specific in that it t- it's it's not specific that you have to leave and then come back and show him the badge, right? Because uh, yeah, I had already showed him the badge, and you could show it again. It's like Percy's like, okay, I'll show it to him again, but it's like then he's just asleep, and so you talk to the other people, and then uh, yeah, it's it's just mm-hmm. weird little things like that. And again, that comes down to the limitations in the memory. They could only program so many options, and. It's like, this is where I felt this game was kind of weird because it's like, I don't know who it was truly directed toward because Mm. somebody like me got really bored with it just because it was Mm. so patterned and repetitive. But I could also see that like, if I had discovered this as a kid and found that like, you wouldn't have discovered that, oh, there's just a pattern to how you get through this because I wasn't as systematic with stuff. Mm. I would have been insanely frustrated with, you know, some of those little things. And I would have been calling that 900 Nintendo number like every 20 minutes because there's just, oh, it's no number, but yeah, that's fine. Yeah. You know, but it's just, it's too, it's, it was too. Oh, memory for numbers. I'm sorry. The Tyson code is zero zero seven three nine three five nine six three. So, you know, what's funny is that I wouldn't have been able to pull that 
phone number out of my ass, but uh, as soon as you said it, I, you're right. <laughs> you know, yeah, you think about it, you're like, yep, that's it. Oh, that's it. Mm-hmm. So, oh, God. Yeah, um, I, I get what you're saying, um, but I think it's also, we're looking at it again from coming to this game in 2018 uh, for the first time, both you and I, and really, I think for those that had played this growing up, I think it was a completely different experience because, um, you know, again, like we've talked before, there weren't tons of games coming out all the time. It was, you know, several games every couple of months. You know, you might get one for your birthday, one for Christmas. You might just rent this on a whim or something like that. So it was a much more relaxed schedule as far as playing through these. And, uh, you know, I, I think that's just, I don't know, that's that's the difference, I think, between since we don't have a lot of nostalgia for this one, we're coming at it fresh. Um, I think we're going to have a little bit different perspective. So, well, and one of the other differences too, because I, I agree with everything you're saying. Um, but in addition, coming at it as an adult, I have a different appreciation for these kind of games. Mm-hmm. Um, I also have, you know, and this is weird to say, like as a kid, I had this weird idea that like certain games were like endless. Like I, I had no concept that you could actually finish certain games because sure. too young, and like especially well, that, that comes from the Atari generation though of of endless games that you know were were meant to be played for high scores. It wasn't well, and it, it was also my my naive understanding of computers because like okay. I had an NES long before we ever had a PC, but I had a couple friends who had computers and they played computer games, and I'm like. I always thought that the whole selling factor of a PC game was that it didn't have an end. Like Nintendo games have, you know, kind of a finite package, mm. whereas those could mm-hmm. just be played forever. And uh, yeah. obviously that's ignorant. But like, I, I think that coming at these as an adult, especially as we're looking at these games for the podcast, I know that there's, you know, a finite amount of information and content to this game. So I also know that I've got two two weeks to play this to prepare for the show. I can probably get through just about any game that we decide we're going to cover in a two week period. Mm. Um, So knowing that, that makes this a very manageable product. Mm. This is the kind of thing that I think as a kid, had I rented this, I would have gotten frustrated with it and just said, screw it. It's not worth it because Mm. I, I wouldn't have been able to see that end, you know, finish line. I would have just seen how frustrating and how difficult it was to get through it and i would have just quit um I, or, at the same time I mean, it, you have passwords after each level so um and it kind of shows you on the the password screen there's like the pictures that are filled in which is kind of like the indication that there's nine levels sure so yeah it, it would have been interesting i i didn't play a lot of games like this when mm-hmm. i was younger yeah. um the first time i played something similar to this would have been I had Shadowgate. I had the Game Boy release of Shadowgate. Okay. Um, and I also, like, I was a very big, yeah, I was a huge fan of the King's Quest series for computers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started with uh, five and six, you know, was somewhere in there. It was right around when I kind of got into it. Uh, so 95, 96-ish was when I kind of discovered those. And those were a little bit different because they were, you know, graphical interface. You had the mouse. You could kind of Mm -hmm. click on objects that you wanted to interact with rather than just having the text. Um, So those sorts of games I was a little bit more familiar with and could manage, whereas something like this that was just pure text options, I probably would have done okay with, 
because you you do get the choices. Mm-hmm. Um, throw me in front of something like you know Zork or whatever when I was in you know elementary school, and I would have thrown the computer through the window. But yeah. um, it's like, yeah, I just didn't have a whole lot of experience with these, so my brain was never quite developed to like like you were saying. You just kind of learn. Oh, you got to click on these things in this right order. Or yeah, look at it's check, check before it's, looking or whatever. Like. Yeah, it's just it's just the familiarity with the genre a little bit, but mm-hmm. uh, I've been I guess more you know in, in recent years I've been more accustomed to the style of games you know playing through like Phoenix Wright games and uh, Professor Layton and some of those more modern types of adventure games that I'm still sort of used to the way that these kind of work. Is is that what those are? I've never actually picked one of those up, but oh yeah. I mean, you should, if you haven't played any of the Phoenix Wright games, I think you should really try them because they're, you know, they're very similar to this, but then there's, um, you know, the courtroom process where you cross-examine and, and try to get to the truth and stuff like that. They're, they're a lot of fun. So, hmm. and they're long, they're like, you know, 20 to 30 hour games. So, yeah. And, and, you know, this whole genre is one that, as I said, from the beginning, I absolutely love and, I, I want to spend more time with it. It's like, I've never once, I think this is evident because I host a retro gaming podcast. Like I've never once been the type that says like, well, it's got to have fancy graphics or modern trappings to be entertaining. Like mm-hmm. I would love to just sit down and dig out some old, you know, seventies era, eighties era text adventure games, you know, for DOS or whatever, and just go to town. And, you know, if any listeners can suggest some good ones, I'd, you know, would love to uh, hear what's out there. Cause like, you know, I, I know some of the big ones like adventure, you know, was one from mid seventies that I know that uh, I think Ken and Roberta Williams ended up picking up and doing something with. Um, but yeah, you know, some of the other, like, like the Zork, as I mentioned, is a kind of a big one, but um, mm. <clears throat> yeah. Any, anything from that era, if I remember right, there was like a Hobbit one in the eighties maybe, but yeah, that's like, I, I would love to kind of expand my knowledge of these games a little bit more and kind of play some of the old classic text-based DOS games that, you know, this was all based on, but um, yeah, I don't know. It... I, I enjoyed playing through this one in the last couple of weeks. Cause like I said, I haven't, um, I never got around to playing it before. And uh, you know, all through the last week or so I was posting screenshots of my playthrough on Twitter and on the Facebook group and just, um, just some of the fun stuff that, um, that you see in this game that comes up, it's just really fun to me. Um, There's a ton of humor. Yeah. I mean, just some of the ways that some of the stuff's described. I mean, um, you go into the uh, coffee shop in the first town there. And uh, you know, if you, if you use the Percy command on the the old lady, um, he just says, boss, this lady looks like a pickled shrunken plum, um, which is kind of funny. And then, so I hit her, I just use the hit command on her. And she says, oh, that feels good on my shoulder. Please do it some more. <laughs> so, um, and it's interesting, too, because for me, like, again, playing this as an adult and being, I guess, more familiar with a lot of Japanese games and uh, how certain Japanese games work, I was noticing in this game a lot more, um, I guess, traditionally Japanese elements that, again, like you were saying, like, who is this game really for? But it was interesting to me that some of the stuff that I noticed because uh, early on in the game, um, you have to go to the cabaret club. And um, if you remember at the cabaret club, the, um, 
there's a barker standing out front that gives you uh, pocket tissues. Yes. And then you, you go in from there and there's the dancers and stuff. And again, and I've talked about this before on the show, but I'm a big fan of the Yakuza game series. And in the Yakuza games, you always get pocket tissues from the barkers that are standing, you know, in front of the clubs. I was like, what's the deal with that? Why is that? Well, come to find out um, in Japan, a lot of there's not a lot of like um, towels, like and like hand dryers and towels and stuff in restrooms. So you're kind of I guess it's more of an expectation that you would carry a handkerchief or pocket tissues with you, hmm. which is why it's kind of a marketing thing for businesses to hand out tissues. So it was kind of interesting to see that pop up in this game. I thought uh, that was kind of interesting. Huh. Another one that I noticed too was later on um, one of the uh, one of the farmers attacks you, and I don't remember uh, which part it was specifically, but it's where um, like it, and it's literally like a, a farmer with a like a hoe or a rake or something like that that comes up. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I do. Okay, so that's kind of I I thought that was kind of similar to um, there's another game that came out on the Famicom in like '85 called Icky which is um, sort of based on um, the uh, loosely, I think it's called the farmer's rebellion in Japan. And it's um, more like something that happened in um, one of the earlier eras. I'm not entirely hundred percent on it, but I, I remembered it being like covered in another game and being somewhat historical in nature. So it was just kind of interesting to see that pop up as well. I guess where, you know, again, if you're like a kid playing through this, you might not notice that kind of stuff. But sure, yeah, yeah. And then later on, um, I posted this also on the um, on the Twitter and Facebook stuff. There's a spot where the Hudson Bee makes an appearance, which I thought was cool. Yeah, because, I saw that. That was funny. You know, as far as like Hudson games and stuff like that, and it actually tells you in this game too. It says the Hudson Bee means bonus in other games, but sorry, not this time, boss. Yeah, so I thought that of, was funny. Um, I can't. I'm blanking now. Like I can't remember what some of the other just like hidden jokes were that were throughout this, but it's like it, it had a really good sense of humor. Yeah, and there's a really dated th- reference towards the end that I posted because uh, if you look at the guard before you go into General Pumpkin's um, uh, room, uh, Percy tells you that he has a huge head and he kind of looks like General Noriega. And I was yeah. like, wow, that's that's a really dated reference. Like, I don't think uh-huh. a lot of people playing this today would know who Manuel Noriega actually was. Yeah, and it was the kind of game that I think had a lot of humor, you know, kind of geared toward adults that you weren't right. quite going to pick up on. Um, Look at uh, towards the end when, uh, you know, when you go into the house and you see there's somebody showering. Yes. You know, just if, if you try to, like, move or look and uh, Percy says, boss, they're going to think we're perverts. Yes. So that was pretty funny. Um. Yeah. There, so there, there's a lot of humor in here. There's a lot of little inside jokes. The Hudson Bee cracked me up. Um. Yeah. And just other other things that you know somebody said or you know made a comment toward you know an attractive woman or just things like right. that that I I always thought was really funny. Um. When then you meet like uh was it Princess Tomato's sister Lisa? She's like a human. Uh, oh, it's like the only human being in the game. Yeah. She's like, oh, you're playing to rescue Princess Tomato. She's my sister. You're just like. Really? Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> sure. Um, so, I also said that this game was sort of a uh, uh, like a, a really strange version of a bad acid trip because it kind of feels like it at first. Yes. Talking like, persimmon and there's these vegetables and stuff, and it's like. Well, and I mean, it's it's also kind of dark in a lot of spots. Oh, very. Dark. Um, there's 
a I couple mean, of things you that, see is like four vegetables buried in the ground. And they look like they're dead. Yeah. That, I was just going to bring that up that, you know, they're completely dried out. You got to put water on them so they can talk, but yeah, yeah. they look like freaking corpses from a, <laughs> you know, scary stories to tell in the dark book. Right. Um, I posted and, too that uh, Prince Lettuce, when you find him, um, it says in the beginning, if you try to talk to him before you give him water, it says, how can an unconscious man talk? And I was like, that's a very deep and provocative statement. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah I, I liked the joke of, um, I think I texted it to you that, that when you're in the juice shop and you know they're selling carrot, or what are they selling, like clover juice and uh-huh. something else. It's like, you know, they're, they're cannibals. They're drinking their own blood. Yeah. Like, it's, yep. Yeah, it was grape juice. Yeah. So. Yeah, the grape juice. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, just the, the way the story kind of develops, it was way more than I expected um, yeah. in terms yeah, it, of, it, you, you, it you know, you're starting going. out, you got to go find the princess, but then you end up discovering that there's like hobos sitting on the benches. Oh, they're actually like rebels and mm-hmm. you've got to join with them and you find the rebel base. There's mm-hmm. um, at one point you're in the enemy base and you're like in a essentially like a torture chamber they're like flooding it with water as the guy just like mm-hmm. stares at you through the window laughing like yeah um that reminded me pan- of uh if you played uh nine persons nine doors nine hours on the ds or 999 like that first first part of that game like the room is filling up with water all of a sudden you're trying to look for for items and stuff like that um it was kind of funny but that's another yeah, recommendation so- if you want to play an, a okay. good adventure, play through nine 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 because it's so awesome. yeah. This this definitely has some some darkness to it, and oh, I I was not expecting you know Sir Cucumber to have to lead a rebellion and infiltrate an enemy city, mm-hmm. um, escape from prison. <laughs> yeah, what's that? Get into the giant mech, the Dysorama. Yeah, you're you're like going through this giant you know robot and having to fight. Um, there's mazes in the game that you, yeah, you know, that was great. You really do have to map them out if you want to find mm-hmm. your way around. Um, yeah, I was excited to actually just bust out some graph paper and kind of map out the dungeon. I was like, man, this is sweet. And then I got thinking, like, uh-huh. I did not expect that I would be mapping a, a three dimensional dungeon in Princess Tomato and the Salad King. Right. But so, yeah, I mean, and, and as much depth as it had for some of those areas, I do have to say that it was really disappointing when it came to combat. Yeah, yeah. Um, For some reason, um, this game, much like... I was trying to think, there's other games that have this element in them, but the only one I could think of was Alex Kidd. But uh, there's basically the the boss encounters break down to basically games of rock, paper, scissors, look. Yeah. So, um, which gets really old. Oh, my God. And, you know, at, at least there's a little bit of strategy to it. Um, yeah, not, not all of them, but there's a couple of them that you can recognize a pattern. Mm-hmm. Like one enemy, I think in the forest that like if you use if you throw scissors, you'll always beat him. Yeah, um, and they tell you that one. Right. There's another guy I forget who it was that I learned like every time you do the look, he always looks left. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's so, one that does that. Yeah. So if you kind of just pay attention. You, you can learn some patterns, but at the same time, I also learned that like, I forget which boss it was. Like, I think it might've been by the time you get all the way to uh, minister pumpkin, it's like, I just didn't care anymore. And I'm just like hitting yeah. buttons and I'm just like, I'm either going to win or I'm going to lose. I don't care either way. 
I yeah. just want this to be over. That's um, the that's the tough one because um like yeah, it's like the second to last fight in the game that you're playing rock, paper, scissors look and you have to you have to beat him like what four times, five times, something like that. Yeah. So it's like even if you guess the the correct one, whether it be rock, paper, or scissors, then you still have to guess which way that they're looking. And the way that the um the enemy character is it's spinning around so fast like a a roulette wheel almost and it's to me it seemed like it was almost random chance that i even got that right direction like i I think i i think by that point it is random which is why i didn't scrutinize it i didn't try too hard i'm just hitting random buttons and it's like i'm either gonna get it or i'm not you know the the password wasn't that far back so Mm -hmm. if i don't get it okay i'll try again i'm not like oh i failed because i don't know how to master this pattern it's like no it's 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 random you know draw a name out of a hat kind of crap and yeah and that was actually um those battles were actually added to the nes one they weren't in the pc88 version Hmm. so for some reason uh you know they decided to to spruce things up a little bit by uh giving us the the exciting rock paper scissors game so yeah like i said there's there's an alex kid game that you play rock paper scissors at the end of the level but i don't remember if it's the first one or which one it was but there's a couple other I seem to remember there's a couple other games that uh, that do this, and it must have just been a must have just been a thing. I don't know, but maybe it's you know maybe people enjoyed playing rock paper scissors. I don't know. I I did. I don't know. And, and you know, and, and I kind of chalked it up to if this was a game geared more towards kids. Um, They're gonna say it's a Game Gear, huh? A Game Gear, the Sega Game oh, Gear. Yes, that's that's exactly what I was going for. Wes, good job. Right. Um, no, like for you know to have a game that is geared toward kids, it, it makes sense to have something like this that's kind of more fun that doesn't require a, a lot of strategy or skill or whatever. It's just kind of like random whatever, and it's kind of low consequence. Um, and it's just, it, it makes sense; it's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, again, as a thirty-something-year-old adult trying to play through this game, I'm just like, all right, come on, like let's. <laughs> Let's do something more fun. And it's, again, I think that it followed the same pattern of this game where for the first half, I was into it. And I mm-hmm. thought, okay, it's cheesy, but obviously there are some patterns that I can recognize and that makes it fun. And the story is intriguing and the, you know, uh, I guess like interaction and interface of the game is still kind of new to me at that point. Mm-hmm. So for the first half of this game, I was really sucked in. And yeah. It's it's a long game. I had spent you know a few hours on it up to this point. I was like, you know, ready to keep going. And mm-hmm. it was about the maybe seventy five percent mark that I'm just like, I just don't care anymore. Um, yeah. Maybe if I didn't uh, have I think the, that probably it's the benefit of having a password though is you could put this game down for a while and come back to it when you're ready to come. Probably, back to it. and it was probably to its detriment that I was trying to finish it before the show. Yeah. Um, whereas if I could put it away and come back to it later. I might have enjoyed it a little bit more, but by this point, I'm just like, I got to get it done, and it just kind of felt like a chore. Yeah. Um, like I said, the the gameplay had been reduced down to a very formulaic: click on all of the options, go to the next mm-hmm. screen, repeat. Uh, combat was just kind of random chance, and so it was just I, w- I was interested to see where the story went because it was a decent story, but I didn't need to keep clicking on a whole bunch of buttons to find yeah. that out. So but again, that's I, I think that's part of the genre too, though. Is sometimes if you 
if you're not sure how to proceed, you tend to kind of brute force everything until something works. Right. Uh, yeah, I think that's just kind of a specific problem to this style of game, but I don't know. Yeah, I, I think you're right. It could be the, you know, the system that it's on, but, um, you know, once you kind of accept that and know what you're getting into, then I think, you know, I think this is, you know, no different really than any other 8-bit adventure game in that sense. Yeah, it would have been interesting to play this on one of the old home computer systems just to see how different it was. Yeah. Um, if I do that. I mean, I think there's some English patches for the uh, PC-88 one if you want to emulate it. Yeah, I, I, it'll be a little bit different because I've already played through the story now. Um, yeah. It was more kind of the thought of what would the experiment have been, or, you know, an interesting experiment of like, would it have felt more rewarding to have figured all of that out on mm. my own rather than just, oh, there's only three things I can pick up, so I'll try to pick those three things up. Yeah. Um, I don't and know. I, I, and I don't know. I don't have an answer to that, but. Yeah. I, I see what you're saying, but at the same time, like for myself, like I started, you know, early in high school playing the original Leisure Suit Larry. Like you know, with the the typing interface, and again, <laughs> you were you just hoping to, you were just hoping to see that pixelated boob, weren't you? Damn right. I mean, I <laughs> had a copy of it, and I I copied it onto a disc, and was like, oh my god, I have this. I'd stay after school and play it and stuff. Um, if if only you would have known that all you had to do is pick up Phantasmagoria instead. Well, I I got that later down the road. <laughs> but I was into those those old games. I I played mostly Space Quest and Leisure Suit Larry. Um, I played a little bit of King's Quest, not a whole lot. I played a couple of police quests and stuff back in the day, but um, I think God, I, I just could do a whole there, month of this show on just Sierra online games, but right. I, I don't know. I prefer, I guess I prefer the point and click style um, because later on, you know, I got into, I played full throttle. I love that one. Uh, recently I, we played through um, Thimbleweed Park, Shannon and I did, and I really enjoyed that. And, you know, Virtue's Last Reward, 999, Phoenix Wright. Um, a lot of those where I like this more, this style of being able to pick commands and kind of go from there. So that's that's just me, though. So how did, how did you feel? You know, here's a little side tangent. How did you feel about games like the uh, Quest for Glory series? Did you ever play those? I've never actually played one. Okay. I know of uh, them, but I never played them. Yeah, I had the all, I had all four. I know they came out with a fifth one later, but I had the first four. And they were very different because it was like the same King's Quest elements, but also with a little bit more of an action RPG mm. twist. But um, yeah, that's what I've heard. So. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. So, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I guess we can give kind of some final thoughts before we talk about some differences or tips or tricks or things like that. But I mean, it's I, I'm not <laughs> after going now 45 minutes in i'm still not 100 percent sure on your take home from this like were you a fan do you recommend this where do you fall yeah i liked it i mean it's not perfect by any means um it's got some issues with you know the rock paper scissors and some of the padding um in the later half of the game but you know overall i again being a fan of this of the genre i enjoyed my time with it because i had not played it before so it was like kind of you know discovering uh, a lost game. Okay. So, yeah, I would say that I'm more of a fan of it than I would have been having discovered as a kid. Mm -hmm. uh, because I think that, you know, the adult mentality and understanding of games, you know, allows me to be more tolerant of something like this, mm -hmm. uh, where I would have been very dismissive of it 
back in my youth. But um, yeah, that being said, I differently though, I think again, because we're coming to it fresh. Definitely. Yeah. Um, I would also say that I don't, I don't say that it's a great game. Um, I did enjoy it, but I think that my biggest mistake was trying to rush through it a little bit too quickly. Yeah. Um, so I would recommend maybe to listeners who haven't tried it, like give it a shot, play through it. It's fun. Mm. But when you start to get a little bit of that kind of burnout or fatigue, put it down, yeah. um, take a break, go do something else. And then next time you're in the mood for kind of an adventure game, rather than pick up something new, come back and play another chapter of this. Um, yeah. Cause I, I do think it's worth it, but it's like, I also feel like I shortchanged myself a lot when it mm. came to like the final chapter or two, because I got through it, I saw what happened, but I was really just kind of checked out, clicking buttons just to move along. I wasn't really kind of experiencing that last chapter or so the way it probably deserved. Mm. So, yeah, I yeah. was going to say, um, you know, if you if you do attempt to play through this, just make sure that uh, that you're always uh, talking multiple times to characters until they start to repeat themselves, and make sure that you check things multiple times. Right. right. Um, you know, again, it's there's a very specific line in which you have to proceed in these styles of games. So often you have to trigger something that, you know, may take multiple commands to do. So yeah, I, I didn't um, have having some patience with it, then uh, it'll make sense. Right. So. Yeah. And I didn't have any official like tips and tricks for this game, but the closest thing I could come up with was it took me a while to realize that most things you talk to have on average, three things to say. Right. Um, so yeah. everybody you talk to hit that talk button three different times. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's still, yeah. there's still other games that do that too. I mean, um, not just these style of games, but um, I don't know if you've played the first Xenoblade for instance, but there's times when you talk to um, NPCs in that game and they'll give you a side quest. And then if you talk to them again, they'll give you another side quest. So like, if you keep talking to them, you might get two or three different side quests. So mm-hmm. um you know, in, in these kind of games, it's like I would always just try to do as much as I can until it repeats itself. So. Yeah. And I think it was like chapter two or three before I realized that that was necessity because um, talking to everybody once was enough to kind of progress. And then there was a certain point I got stuck and realized like, oh, if I talk to you a couple of times, that unlocks different options. So, yeah, um, yeah most things. And, and uh, it goes also for checking like when you mm-hmm. check things, like sometimes checking something two or three different times will finally reveal something different yeah. or using an item. Like there's a mound of dirt, I think, at one point that you can dig. So you use the shovel on it and it's like, OK, I'll dig that up and then mm-hmm. try it again. Try it again. And it's like the seventh or eighth time that you find it's like, oh, I found something. Um, it's the same when you pick up the uh, banana pieces. You have to pick up uh, five pieces before you actually find what's underneath. Yep. So um, the only other tip and trick that I could kind of come up with, and again, we're not even going to do an official section, but I, I was really stressed out when I first played it and realized that like, there's a limited amount of money. You go to these shops, there's certain things you have to buy. You don't know what is important, what's not. Mm-hmm. And I think there's three different sections in the game where you can go and buy things. Right. And in all of those sections, there's also an item that you can go pick up an unlimited supply of and sell. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, I think in the beginning, if you go back to uh, one of the screens, you can like pick up Clover and then mm-hmm. take that to the antique shop. Every time you sell him a piece of Clover, he'll give you a coin. Yeah. Um, 
so you can get as many coins as you need to to buy all of the things yeah. same same thing later i think with carrots same thing later with something else so don't stress out too much about which thing should i buy um sometimes if you're in the store and you talk to percy he might say like oh it would probably be good if we bought such and such like go mm -hmm. ahead and buy that first because maybe that's the thing you'll need but i did not find a single spot in the game where they screwed you no and you you got yourself in trouble and you could not go back so yeah that's actually what i was going to mention is um there's not really a way to get stuck because um even if you don't sell anything which i didn't i didn't sell anything when i was playing through but um, if you check different spots on the screen, sometimes you'll find a coin. And then occasionally when you go to different screens, there'll be a little strawberry character that goes across the screen. And uh, Percy will say, oh, you know, there's there's a strawberry or whatever. And then if you check the ground after that's passed, there's always a coin that leaves behind. Yeah. So the game, if if the game realizes that you don't have the money to buy the item to proceed, it's going to give you those, you know, little nudges to to put you on your way. Which yeah. I appreciated that. So sure, yeah. So I thought that was. Good. Uh, so yeah, if there is a way that you can screw yourself and get stuck, I didn't find it. Um, but that doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. And, you yeah. know, luckily with a password game like this, you're not going to get sent back too far. Yeah, yeah, it'd be very hard to screw up, I guess. So right. Uh, yeah, I wanted to get into just a little bit of um, uh, feedback because um, I posted earlier today that. You know, we were talking about this game tonight and, you know, people kind of share their memories of playing. And like I said, this was requested by Melanie and she uh, she remembers playing it with her best friend, Stephen, who lived down the street and got her into gaming. So um, that was pretty cool. Um, you know, again, we've all got games that sort of we sort of remember that stick with us, you know, in those ways. Um, so it's our gateway drug. I know. Right. Uh, <laughs> Scott Morse, uh, he posted, he, he used to spend the night at his friend's house and they'd play games all night. And he doesn't remember why, but uh, he was at uh, his friend's house one weekend, his mom, and he played through uh, Princess Tomato. And uh, he thinks he'd spent the night and he had to leave early in the morning for some reason. So, um, you know, that's uh, Princess Tomato is the game that you play with your friend's mom. And... <laughs> but, you know, in a similar fashion, like I had a friend growing up that, I remember we'd go over to his house and his mom, like we'd go downstairs to play Nintendo. And I always remember his mom would sit there and play Tetris and smoke cigarettes. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it's funny how that stuff, you know, sticks with you because I can just remember her just chain smoking and playing Tetris. And we're wanting to play something, you know, kind of thing. And, and Scott's got this sort of similar memory of playing princess tomato with his friend's mom. So um, my, gr my grandma was the greatest Dr. Mario player in the world. Really? Yes. Did she know that Dr. Mario was not a real doctor? Uh, you know, it never came up, but... Um, I was also going to talk a little bit about a couple of differences between the NES and the Famicom one. And there's not a whole lot, but um, what was interesting in this game, in the NES one, when you find the... Early on in the game, you find the bum that's sitting on the, um, uh, on the bench outside. And he says, oh, I, I need a donut before, before I tell you anything. And there's a, a little shop that's like a coffee shop. And you go in and the guy says, oh, we're all out of donuts and whatever. So then you go a little bit later on, I think it is, and you, you go into this restroom and there's a trash can and you find the donut in the trash can. Because of course you do, you know. Right. right um, it's, it's like Final Fight. You know, you find a, a turkey in the trash can and you just pick it up and eat it and get all your health back. So 
I, uh, I like the Castlevania pot roasts that are hidden in the walls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same thing. So, um, but what's interesting in the Japanese version of this game, that's actually a cigarette store. So you are actually um, that the character that's sitting on the bench in the Japanese version wants a match to light his cigarette. So I thought that was kind of interesting. You know, again, if, wondering who this game is for, but at the same time, it's completely different. So I just thought that was kind of funny because. If you look at the coffee shop in the NES version and compare it with the cigarette shop, the boxes of cigarettes are still in the back of the store in both versions. But the only difference is there's a cup of coffee that's added to the NES one, and then a little sign that says coffee. So are you telling me that in two episodes in a row, we found the only two NES games that have cigarettes in them? No, there's more. <laughs> oh, also, uh, the, uh, the gal, when you go into the juice shop early on, Mm-hmm. And the, the purple girl is sitting there. Um, she's smoking a cigarette in the Japanese version. Oh, okay. She's got one of her hands up and got a cigarette sticking out of it. It's funny. Kind of, and I think um, I'm pretty sure that in the Japanese version on the last dungeon, that it makes you fight more monsters. And I remember in this one, um, when you find that baby monster and you just walk past it and there's a couple other monsters, you just you just walk past them. So... Yeah, I only found the baby and the dad, and you have to fight the dad, but the baby, you just walk right past it. But if yeah. there was more down there, I never found them. You have to, at least in the Japanese version, I think you have to fight three or four monsters. Hmm. So there's a lot more uh, rock, paper, scissors in that oh, one. Oh, good. Yeah. All righty. Well, um, I think that pretty much wraps up most of what I had to say about it. Um, like I said, still a recommend was a very weird play for me because the kind of thing that I had it not been for the show, I probably would never have picked this up. Mm. Um, glad I did. And uh, I do think it's worth other people doing the same. Although I would hazard a guess that this is the kind of title and the kind of cover that is going to steer a lot of people away. Um, <laughs> you've probably seen it on virtual console over the last eight years and just decided, nah, maybe not, but um, yeah. I don't well, know. Also, if you're, if you're a collector too, I mean, you've probably seen that this game is, sort of become infamous or, or, you know, sought after now um, in the last few years. And probably because of a lot of YouTube um, playthroughs and, and shout outs and stuff like that. So an original cartridge of this is going to run you quite a bit of money, um, probably about a hundred bucks or so. But yeah. luckily there's there, like you said, there's virtual console versions yeah. to pick up. Which, which, you know, as I've said before, virtual console is not perfect, but um you know, as a way to play a game that you don't have otherwise, five bucks is uh, not yeah. a not too much of a price. So now I will say too, uh, one last thing that was kind of interesting that um, since Hudson published this one, and then in recent years Konami has acquired the the Hudson IP, um, in the recent uh, Bomberman game for Switch, the Super Bomberman R, recently they had a free DLC that came out with uh, new characters to play as, and they had like Vic Viper and. Uh, Simon Belmont and stuff like that. And one of the other ones that you could play as was actually Princess Tomato. Huh. So it was kind of cool to to see that, you know, pop up in sort of a modern game and kind of say, you know, here's a reference to a really old IP. And, you know, we didn't really forget about that. So now did you have the option to play as sexy Princess Tomato and ugly Princess Tomato or did it only no, choose for you? Just one Princess Tomato. So. Mm. Or you can also play as Pyramid Head from Silent Hill 2. So if you want to cutesy deformed pyramid head chasing princess tomato around in bomberman um pick up bomberman r just trying to get over the fact that you know i never thought in my life i would ever use the phrase sexy princess tomato but 
here we are. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're twenty some episodes in. I'm sure that we're going to say a lot of things later on down the road that <laughs> you know just shock and dismay us. All right, well, you know, stay tuned for that, all listeners. Right. <laughs> yeah, for sure. All right, so uh, next episode we are taking a break from some of the listener requests. Uh, we still got a few more built up, but we're going to dig back into our picks. So I think we got a, a good one, mm-hmm. one that we're we're both looking forward to. So yeah, it's your pick next time, I think. So yep. um, you've got a, a, a pretty heavy hitter lined up a pretty big classic. So yeah. um, stay tuned for that. I think it's going to be a fun one. O- overdue, I would say, but yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. So if listeners liked this episode, want to hear more or have their own requests, Wes, how do they get a hold of us? Well, there's a couple of different ways you can go about that. And uh, one of the easiest ways would probably be to join our Facebook group, uh, Graveyard Duck Podcast. Um, we're also on Twitter at Duck Graveyard. Or you can also email us, graveyardduckpodcast at gmail.com. So um, our show is hosted on Geek Nerdery and iTunes. Um, so if you if you like the show, if you're enjoying it, if you hate the show and you don't like it, um, please leave us a review. Um, every every review helps and kind of moves us up in the rankings so more people can discover our show. And, you know, we, we like to hear what you think. And, you know, whether it be a request or just memories of, of certain games and stuff, that's why we like doing the show. So, Absolutely. So, um, yeah, I would say stay tuned. we got a lot of good things coming up. And uh, until we get to that point, I'm Scott. And I'm Wes. And just make sure that um, if there are any wilted tomatoes around that you use the chameleon grass to make them pretty. Game over.